Welcome to the CU Strategy Forum podcast, a podcast designed especially for credit union leaders. Our goal is to bring you the latest strategic resources for growing your profitability and membership. Whether your credit union has 10,000 or 10 million members, we think you'll find today's conversation valuable. Welcome back to the CU Strategy Forum podcast. I'm joined today by Becky Reed. She's a 27-year credit union veteran, 13 years was in the C-suite, and twice was in that CEO role. Um, She's got amazing insight into QSOs, uh, co-founded one of the largest QSOs. You were a CEO, but now you've kind of stepped out and are doing something different. Becky, fill us in. What, What are you doing now? Thank you, Paul. Well, after 27 years in the credit union space, now I haven't left. I'm still in the credit union space, right? But now I'm over on the fintech and the QSO side of things. I was blessed to, over the last seven or eight years, uh, be able to kind of have one foot in the QSO world and one foot in the credit union world. And so now I've kind of made the whole leap where I've got both feet in the QSO and the uh, fintech uh, side of the house. So still providing services to credit unions. I do have my own consulting firm called Brass or Becky Reed as a service. So B-R little a little a-s. Yes, that's a little bit of a play on words, right? Uh, Because I'm a technology person. Uh, so I do that through the QSO. I co-founded Peer IT, and then I also am the chief operating officer for a distributed ledger technology fintech called Bank Social. I love that. So yeah, and there's so many things to unpack there. Peer IT, it's one of the largest QSOs, in case you're not aware. Uh, and so you did that for how long? That's That's been around for quite a while. Yeah, they just celebrated their seventh birthday. Oh. So Lone Star Credit Union, um, the credit union that I just came from, uh, was the founding investor uh, of Pure IT back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So seven years. That's amazing. Well, that, that, that kind of feeds into what we're talking about today, which is driving the innovation curve for credit unions. Uh, credit unions are, I don't know, how would we... Uh, many credit unions are a little bit slow to adopt technology and change. It's a, you know, bland, maybe bland. vanilla. <laughs> it's a, I mean, you don't necessarily want your bank to be on the bleeding edge of tech of, you know, pushing technology. You want your bank to be safe and secure. And so some of that apprehension makes sense, except now we're getting to the stage where a lot of fintechs and a lot of the bigger banks from a technology perspective are eating the lunch of lots of smaller organizations, including credit unions. And so this this topic becomes more and more important as a younger generation is looking for a slicker, faster, better, frictionless experience. And we see that in everything from the myriad of financial apps that exist on our phones to Robinhood to um, the you know steady crypto. crypto, the steady state of you know, younger generations leaving credit unions. And so how, how do we do that? How do we drive the credit, drive the innovation curve for credit unions um, and kind of get over this inherent risk averse sort of mentality that a lot of executives operate from, especially more established uh, executives that have spent their careers doing the, the tried and true safe methodology. 
Well, what I think about is I go back to the very beginning when credit unions were founded. And credit unions were founded by people who were disenfranchised, Mm. people who could not gain access to traditional financial services. And it was farmers at that time in the late 1800s and early 1900s. We used to say turn of the century until we were in the 2000s. (laughs) Until we were in the next turn of the century. (laughs) Right. So when I was growing up, turn of the century meant 1900. Now it means 2000. So crazy. But um, I go back to that time and it really, truly was a grassroots kind of feel with people helping people. And credit unions were small. Mm -hmm. They were small and local. And as we have continued to grow over the years, a small and nimble credit union probably makes different decisions than a larger credit union does for many different reasons. A smaller credit union is a little more nimble. A smaller credit union has to do more with less, so they have to be more innovative, right? They have to kind of not play it safe because playing safe puts them behind. The larger credit unions tend to have more resources they have the time to play it safe and they have the the opportunity to utilize more resources certainly but in order to get the entire organization on board and moving forward in a unified direction requires time and so that means they're slower moving it doesn't necessarily mean they're less innovative it just means they're slower moving. And so we go from this really fast and nimble, have to make decisions quickly and might be a little more risky to we move slowly and we're very methodical about making our decisions because we have to get buy-in from the organization. And so how do you kind of bridge that gap? How can you have a larger credit union act like a smaller credit union. And one of those ways is certainly technology, but we can't be all things to everybody. You have to really focus on the people who brought you, right? Dance with the one that brung you, the, your members. Yeah. And I think what we're competing with today as credit unions is that, unfortunately, our app is not as good as Chase. Sure. Okay. Now, The experience when a member deals with a credit union is way better than Chase. Ask anybody or Wells Fargo or Citibank or any of the big box retail banks. Um, Ask anybody. The app is great, right? I can do everything. It's seamless. It works great. But if I have to go in or I have to call, it's really painful. And so the opposite is true for credit unions. The in-person experience is fantastic. People know your name. The call center experience is really good. I don't have to wait 45 minutes to talk to someone at a giant call center in another country. Um, And, you know, a chat might be actually manned by a person at a credit union as opposed to a chat bot. But because most credit unions rely on third-party vendors to provide their digital banking experience, Sometimes it's not as great and it's not as well integrated with the cores that we use as a Chase or a Citibank or a Wells Fargo because they build their own app, right? right. right? They do it themselves. And so I think when we talk about innovation and building a culture of innovation in your organization, I think it starts with communication. 
tell, tell me more. Communication with your members, communication with your people, your employees. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, I talked about earlier having to get that buy-in, mm -hmm. right? From And I'm not talking about buy-in from your members. I'm talking about buy-in from your staff. The staff needs to be able to support the tools that the members are using because a lot of times we as the staff have to walk the member through how to use it or resolve problems right. that are occur with the particular product that we're um, offering. But if you want to be innovative, you have to actually get people comfortable with failure. And that's one of the things I think that in credit union land, we're a little uncomfortable with because we want everyone to be happy. We want our employees to have a great experience and have a great culture at the credit union. And failure can sometimes be painful. Right. So when I talk about communication, in order to create that innovative mindset, you really have to get people comfortable with stepping out of their out of their comfort zone and potentially causing themselves or others some pain. Now, in order to do that as a leader, you have to walk the employees through what that process looks like. You have to encourage them to step out there and do something that might feel uncomfortable. And when they fail, and inevitably they will, and I'm speaking collectively, it could be a person or it could be a group of people, it could be a committee, a department, whatever. Um, when they do fail, you have to be there to support that and show them that it's okay. So I kind of equate that to... When your children fall and skin their knee, you're right there to say, oh, mommy will fix the boo-boo, right, right. <laughs> right? It's okay. Put some dirt on it. Go out there and have some fun. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't crack your head open, so it's all good right now. Some of you are going, I have children like that, and they are <laughs> going to crack their head open, so I got to be careful. But, but, you know, part of that is understanding your staff, too, because you might have some risk-averse staff. You might have some staff who's more comfortable taking risk and, you know, utilizing them together might benefit. But creating a culture of, of uh, innovation is about first creating a culture of communication where we can all talk about things and failure is not a big giant F. Right. And that's such an interesting perspective, right? Because a lot of times failure is you just didn't get the thing done that you said you were going to get done. And we don't want to celebrate that, right? You want a culture of disciplined execution. That doesn't count as failure. That counts as, well, I guess it's failure. It's a failure of a different, different kind. You want to celebrate the kind of failure where you tried and risked something and it didn't work out the way that you wanted rather than not risking anything at all. And so to your point, you're going to have different kids. Some kids that are going to go launch themselves off of a bicycle ramp and get eight feet in the ground, eight feet in the sky. And you're going to be like, Hey, we're going to slow that one down a little bit and make you wear a helmet. And then right. you have the other kid that just won't even get on the bike at all. And you've got to encourage both of those into being in this healthy perspective where real failure, we tried something innovative and it didn't work out is actually celebrated. Whereas the other kind of failure, and this, I see this a lot in not just credit unions, but a lot of risk averse institutions where it's, Hey, we're going to try something and it's not doing what we want it to do, but we're just going to keep pretending that there's nothing else to look at over here. Just don't look over in that corner. We're going to sweep this underneath the rug. How do you get organizations to actually 
call a failure a failure because oftentimes that that's the critical component where we count as celebrate we celebrate instead of celebrating the execution and the failure of a project we celebrate the fact that the project got done and we don't actually look at the outcome and say is this doing what we wanted it to do that is so true and uh, one of the things that we do at PRIT is we go in and we take a look at a credit union's infrastructure, operations, processes, and technology, and people. And you are exactly right that in many cases, you know, there's, there's a project that got completed and everybody goes, yay, the project is done. But some of the staff is looking around going, why did we even do that? Yeah. I don't really understand why we did that. Okay, yay, we're done. <laughs> but it, did it did it really help me right. in my day to day job? I, I'm you know I'm not seeing it. So why did we do that right. again? And sometimes even the people on the project, to your point, go, I don't really know. Right. We just we got got put on this project and we did it and yay we're done. Um. So how do you kind of move through that? and create that innovative culture. And again, it's going to come back to communication. So one of the things about getting buy-in organizationally is helping people understand the why. This is why we're doing it. Because a lot of times what happens, if they don't understand the why, then they're going to keep doing the thing that they did before. And then they get this new thing and they're just going to force it to do what they always have done. Right. Because they don't really understand the benefit or why we're changing. You know, what I do is just fine. Oh, now you give me a new tool. Now I'm just going to use it the way I use the old tool. And that isn't moving us forward. So communicating the why. Also holding people accountable, right? You just talked about, well, you know, we, we do this project. Or in some cases, maybe we don't do the project and it just kind of falls by the wayside. And two years later, everybody goes, weren't we supposed to be doing this or that or whatever? People are like, yeah, we did that, but then nothing ever happened. Well, some of that is creating that culture of accountability. And and we shouldn't have meetings just to have meetings. Right. And a lot of organizations do that, not just credit unions. A lot of organizations do that. They have meetings to have meetings to have. And they consider meetings part of the buy-in. Well, that's not the buy-in, <laughs> right? Get, helping people understand the why, and that's going to make their job easier and better, make the members' lives better. That is, that's the why. Right. That's how you get buy-in, not by just having a bunch of meetings that everybody attends. Well, one of the things about having productive meetings is holding people accountable for what gets decided mm. in the meetings, right? If you don't have an agenda and if you don't have action items with deadlines that come out of that meeting, you shouldn't be having a meeting. It could have been an email. Sure. So, you know, all of that lays the groundwork for this culture of innovation that I'm talking about, because unless you have kind of those pieces that are built, then you can't encourage people to, to take the bike off of that ramp, right? People are like, no, 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 I'm not doing that because I don't trust my coworkers to get things done Sure, because no one's held accountable. Nobody seems to have a deadline as to when things are supposed to be done. So I'm just going to do my job over here. And when somebody decides we're supposed to do something, they'll tell me. Um, You know, if we only celebrate stuff getting finished and not something being accomplished, well, now I have no incentive to really even change anything. So, you know, I talk about a culture of innovation, but believe me, 
There is no way you just walk into an organization or a department or whatever the case may be and go, oh, right. we're an innovative shop. Right. We're, we're, we're going to be an innovative shop today. Just like you have to lay the groundwork with an infrastructure. Let's talk about technology for a minute. You have to have a solid network before you can really have a great cloud strategy, mm. right? Well, similarly, you have to have a, a framework and a backbone that is created in your organization culturally in order to build that innovation culture upon. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you had mentioned something earlier when we were talking that really stuck out to me. And you said a frictionless member experience starts with a frictionless employee experience. And a lot of what you're describing in this foundational work that an organization has to do to drive this, we think that innovation is just the leader saying, hey, let's go do cool new stuff. And that oftentimes that is, that is not how you drive innovation in an organization, right? The leader's job is to actually teach the team how to have accountability, how to prioritize. Their job is to teach them to keep that why in the forefront, right? Why are we doing this? What's the impact to the organization? And I, like even that, the prioritization of which things we tackle, what are, what, that, that becomes the leadership task itself, right? Like if, if we're going to attack everything that's broken in the organization and you know we have 17 different focuses and then nothing gets done, of course, no one's going to pay attention the next time you do something, right? You've seen this happen, I think, a lot in both the credit union space. You've probably seen this in the technology space. Talk me through some of your leadership sort of lessons. How did you turn a team into being a high-functioning team? How did you spin off, whether that was pure IT or a QSO effort? Like, I'd love to hear some of your stories. How, do you, how did you do that specifically? Well, it didn't happen overnight, like I said uh, before. Uh, it, it took time because the, the team really needed to experience things together and gain that trust of each other before they felt comfortable really stepping out and doing something that they may have perceived as risky. And it's repetition, right? It's doing things over and over so that people get comfortable and they understand what the outcome and what it looks like, feels like, what the experience is. But from a leadership perspective, it really means that you have to walk the talk. Hmm. You, you cannot go into a situation saying, all of you are going to benefit from this, but none of you have an opportunity to help make the decisions about what this looks like. It, it makes me upset in sometimes when uh, I hear about a credit union that makes a really big decision with very few people. Hmm. And it's having been an executive for more than a decade in a credit union, I can tell you that at, from an executive perspective, I don't see the whole credit union. Right. I don't. I don't deal with members every day. I, I'm not helping them. I'm not getting the phone calls right? Um, so I see the credit union from a very different perspective than a call center employee does. Sure. And however, who makes the decision on what core to choose? Right. Well, it's not the call center employee. And I think that's a travesty. So 
What we did at Lone Star Credit Union is we brought in a team that represented all of our departments. And that team went through the RFP when we were looking to change our core provider. Once we chose the core provider, and it was a team effort, the people who implemented the core was not IT. It was operations. Because the operations people are who use the core every day. Who better to build the core than the people who use it every day? Not some IT person. And I love IT people, okay? (laughs) But they don't help members. They don't. They help employees who help members, right? right? And that's great. But if they're setting up a workflow to open a new account, they're out of their depth. Right. Now, on the other side of that, you wouldn't want a call center person trying to fix a desktop issue, right? It's two different skill sets. But so many times an executive or two makes a decision about a core and then they hand it over to IT to implement. Right. And it's a disaster. Right. It's a disaster. I think we're solving one problem and we're creating three or four other ones on a different end. (laughs) Right. And so many times people think that new software, regardless of whether it's a loan origination system or CRM or a core or whatever, they feel like that's going to solve their internal efficiency issues. And it doesn't. Right. Because what I talked about before, again, if people don't understand the why, then they're just going to do what they've always done. So in our case, changing our infrastructure, I talked about a frictionless employee experience. And what that means is that the tools they use every day should be seamless, easy to use, not complex, and should not be a barrier to them helping the member. So you want, ideally, you want a member-facing person to have basically one screen where they can do everything. Unfortunately, because we use so many third-party vendors, most credit unions, more than 100, there are multiple screens. There's multiple passwords and logins and tabs that employees have to have open in order to help the member. And when you are a member that needs help, even a 30-second pause or delay feels like forever. Right. So now the employee is frustrated, the member is frustrated, and that's just not a good experience for anyone. And if the employee, not to mention their their software issues, if they also have hardware issues, their computer reboots spontaneously. It takes 20 minutes to to log in in the morning. Um, You know, it disconnects from the network unexpectedly. The phone doesn't work. I mean... These things are so easy to fix, but cause such angst with the employees. So if we can fix that, then that begins to help fix the member experience. And now we can start elevating because now we've, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You have to have that foundational level before you can get to the higher levels. It's the same thing. If an employee's computer doesn't work, asking them to participate in a core conversion. Right. (laughs) Forget that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So you have to build it from the bottom up. And um, and little by little, what we did at Lone Star is just create that positive experience so that they were able to spend time doing other things. And incrementally, people got really comfortable with change and eventually became a high-performing culture that was innovative. Yeah, I love, but it took. I years, love what you're like describing in this. It wasn't end, overnight because oftentimes we equate innovation with cool technology, and uh-huh. that that in itself can become a trap 
because we're looking for some sort of like secret sauce, magic beans that exist outside of our organization. And if we just had this thing that's outside of our field of view, then everything will be solved. And oftentimes the problem is the culture itself, the people, it's the, the problem with our, the way our process works with humans, right? This is a people problem, not a technology problem. And technology problems rarely solve people problems. Right. And so you've got to have this clarity over, is this a problem with our current process? Is our technology the inhibitor? What's the amount of what, what's another way around this? Because oftentimes there's probably three or four other ways to solve it. And you start stacking up that tech debt, as some organizations call it. These these are the things where technology is holding us back. And as those things stack up, now you have an operative framework of, OK, now I know exactly the problem I'm solving. If I solve this problem, what does that get me on the back end? Because the people on the other end of it are holding on to as much as they are frustrated with the current process, they don't want to change their current, you know, their current workflow, their current process either, right? It's too much work. So nobody loves change. How do you get them to feel comfortable with change? Owning it is a great thing that you've said, right? Like this, they're the drivers of it. They get to see the why. They're on the front line and they feel like they have a voice. That's a huge component of it. How do you teach them the muscle memory as you were describing it to like embrace that sort of not only change, but failure itself so that they feel comfortable with it? Well, uh, it it's, it's a challenge because for some people, for most people, it's part of human nature, right? Pain is a great motivator. Uh, on the other side of that, a, a positive result or pleasure yeah. um, is not as great right. of a motivator, right? We're going to avoid much more vehemently something that is painful than, than move forward to try to get something that is a positive result, right? Where something feels good to right. do. And, and so what that can sometimes lead to is, is, is it's a, that's a negative culture and culture inherently is going to resist change. Um, because if people like how things are, then they're not going to be as open to changing because it might be worse, right? Again, we want to avoid the negative right. consequences, right? right? It, things are good now. Even if I'm a little complacent and I'm a little bored, I'm kind of happy with the status quo. I don't want to right. to cause a bunch of turmoil right. by messing stuff up. And so you really, as a leader, have to, to bring both of those sides together. And I'm going to go back to the communication thing, right? What what we see a lot of times in organizations, and you hit the nail on the head exactly, sometimes we equate it to a technology problem. And so we look for a technology solution when it's really a people problem. And what I equate people problems to is not only a culture that resists change, but there are departments within the organization that are siloed and they're not talking to each other. And so one department is feeling pain. And they are trying to resolve that pain by whatever the case. It could be adding another person. It could be changing a process. It could be implementing a technology solution. could be whatever. Well, that department feeling that pain has absolutely no purview into a department across the hall that's feeling the same pain. And each one is trying to solve it in a silo instead of looking 
at the problem from an organizational or strategic perspective. And oftentimes I think that's what I see is missing. So at the executive level, so there are executives that these silo departments report up to, but the executives are talking about things that maybe aren't about the pain their department is experiencing. They're talking about, you know, overarching goals like loan growth or asset liability management strategies or, you know, big giant picture things instead of going, hey, you know what? We are really experiencing some pain around scanning documents. I mean, it's just really painful and it's causing our staff to have to manually go and scan things three times. And it's, you know, that's a half an hour. Each of them are losing a day because the stupid scanner doesn't work. Mm. Well, so then another department goes, you know what? We're experiencing the same thing. Right. And then, right. Then the IT person executive sitting at the table goes, well, I didn't know you were having scanner problems. Well, Let's see what we can do to fix that. Or conversely, they might say, I knew you were having scanner problems, but it's not in my budget to be able to buy those things till next year. Well, now the decision makers at the table can actually go, well, that's dumb. Right. If people are experiencing pain, why would we wait until next year to replace those right. things? Why don't we just do that now? All right. All in favor, say aye. Done. Bam. You have your money. Go buy the new scanners. I mean, but that doesn't happen because the conversations about pain rarely cross over right. and they rarely make it to the executive level. So it it has to be communication all across the board. Everybody needs to understand what the pain is. And sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. So you're in the woods, right? You're you're looking at the trees. You don't see the forest. Sometimes it makes sense to bring in an outside party who can see things completely clearly and be able to, so you might have some idea about some things that are going on. Right. Sometimes you need validation yeah. there because to your point, sometimes it doesn't behoove people to really admit right. <laughs> that there's an issue, right? Right. So, so sometimes you need an outsider's perspective to just kind of validate oh, what, what you think is happening and help so you through many, it. And, and I'm assuming, I'm hoping that's what you do in, in terms of brass consulting, right? This, this idea of external perspective that you don't have because you, you're neck deep in your own organization. You, you don't know what's normal or not. You think you're running a well-efficient meeting. You think your team is, we're doing great. We're having a high-performance meeting. And then you think back, when was the last time that we had healthy conflict in our executive team meeting? It's a sign of an innovative culture, right? We disagree on priorities. We're going to have robust dialogue on it. We're going to leave respectfully figuring out what the direction is. But there are people that are going to actively fight for what those priorities are. If you lack healthy conflict, that's probably an area to bring in a consultant, right? How do you know you're a high-performing team? Well, there are some great key markers and there are great consultants like, you know, Becky that are out there, or Brass Consulting that are out there that you can find to help kind of drive this in. And so... That's a really fun conversation for us. Thank you for your time today. This is amazing. I have a few follow-up questions just to ask that are just kind of fun. Great. So let me let me do some rapid fire questions. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, take risks or follow the rules? 
<laughs> really? Well, <laughs> Take risks. Uh, Hands down. <laughs> I don't know. You had the, the CEO seat. You might, you might. Uh... Well, okay. I, I'll, I'll put a caveat in there. Take appropriate risk. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to jump off a cliff without understanding how far you're jumping. Yeah. So, you know, manageable risk, appropriate risk, understanding the risks and going in wide open is probably more what I, I calculated it, risk. I love I it. Say. All right. How about the second one? The best way to accelerate personal growth for you is what? To give back, help someone oh, else. I love that. That's a great answer. Thank you for your time today, Becky. This has been really fun and enlightening. I hope more credit unions take advantage of not only Pure IT and the QSOs you've started, but your leadership expertise and the ability to drive uh, new innovation and new technology and new growth for their organizations. Our conversation was really fun. Thank you today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Today's CU Strategy Podcast is brought to you by 454 Creative a digital marketing agency with extensive experience developing websites and marketing strategies for credit unions. 454 Creative is ready to help design your brand, define your strategy, and deliver your story to your community and grow your members. Visit 454creative.com cu today to learn more and get a free website review.